Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post... Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, one of my favorite little pet phrases around here has always been cute stories, you know, and I think most people take that when I say that to mean that I'm just being like completely dismissive, but I do tend to mean that in a somewhat positive way too. And if we're looking around the NBA like this year and last year, I don't know if you would agree with me. Weren't the Pacers like peak cute story. I mean, Victor Oladipo salvages them from utter ruin. The small market team gone bust because Paul George doesn't want to be there. All-star, all-NBA, all-defensive, most improved player, gets him into the playoffs. Career year, huge numbers from Indiana University. Like, this is a Disney-level cute story. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the cutest possible story. I'm not going to let you pretend that you're not being dismissive when you say teams are cute stories. But yes, the Pacers were a good story that everyone could enjoy. Um, And it's tough because... When you started out on that cute story angle, I knew we were going to start talking about the Grizzlies and the Pacers, and they are now the polar opposite of a cute story. This is a really sad, kind of depressing story. Yeah, that's uh, where I was going. I mean, imagine a Disney flick. Everything's going great. You know, hometown hero saves the day, and then the screen just goes black like the end of Sopranos, (laughs) and you're just looking around like, wait a minute, what did I pay for? I don't think it's, it's saying too much here, Andrew. To call the Oladipo injury a catastrophic injury with catastrophic timing with catastrophic long-term repercussions for that franchise. Like, I realize that sounds a little melodramatic, but um, the whole thing was very carefully oriented around him in a multi-year process as they were building. They were just Mm -hmm. at this moment here at the trade deadline where they really could have, you know, gone for it shaken things up, tried to make a little power play uh, to get him a second star with all their expiring contracts and everything else. Their salary cap book was like in a perfect spot to make moves. And then the nuclear bomb just gets dropped on their season. And now they're looking around like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, it's, it's pretty awful in part because the injury he actually suffered, the ruptured quad, I'm not a doctor, but that does not sound good. And particularly for a player who relies on explosiveness as much as Oladipo does. Andrew, how often is it worse than an ACL? Like where people are, are like, uh, what does this mean? You know? Yeah, once people start saying that, that's where you really have to take a pause and say, man, this is this is tough. And this is going to be tough for Oladipo to recover from, for the team to recover from. And it's hard, too, because, you know, anybody who had watched the Pacers over the last month or two has seen Oladipo out there not looking right. And so, I mean, part of my reaction over the last 24 hours was to wonder, like, I, you know, was it worth it for him to be playing at 60, 70, 80%, whatever he actually was? Because he, he kind of looked gimpy for various stretches of, of the whole season, um, no, or at great, least after no, he suffered that injury. Great point. I mean, he was soldiering through, and it caught up to him. I mean, I, I don't think yeah. there's really any way around it. And I'm sure he felt you know, the obligation and the pressure to do it because they had handed him that franchise. He is so popular there locally. They had had so much success the previous season and they were having a lot of success this year too. But, um, you know, that came with, you know, real dark consequences in terms of his career. You know, the other aspect that I I didn't mention on the timing, I I did mention the trade deadline and we should probably explore that a little bit more. But the other aspect is their schedule. If you look to date 
They've had the easiest schedule in the NBA. And if you look at their future schedule here coming up over the next couple months, they've got two against Golden State, two against Denver, two against Boston. Like They're heading into a murderer's row, right? And so they've uh, survived pretty well without Oladipo this season. And I think that we'd probably all agree that they've overachieved to kind of be in that three-seed range. But I don't see any way they don't slide at least out of home court. I don't think they're going to free fall because they're getting – you know, quality contributions from so many different guys, whether it's, you know, Bogdanovich, uh, Sabonis, Turner, you know, kind of the list yeah. goes on. But to me, this is a team that they had a chance to win a first round series and really make some noise this year if they were fully healthy and clicking. Um, now, I don't see any way they get out of the first round. And I think that should influence their strategy going into the deadline. Yeah. And, and that would be the, the one counter I would offer to what you said at the beginning here, I mean, it is obviously catastrophic for Oladipo and the Pacers' chances this season. I just, you know, I don't know if the stakes are, are that high either way, um, and I, I don't mean to sound dismissive here, but I didn't think that Oladipo was ever going to be the guy who could be well, you did. the number one on a contender. <laughs> well, you, know I mean? you did sound dismissive there. Here's- well, I did. No, I know. Here- but it's just look. The Pacers were were a a cute story, but b also a really cool story. And I think it's it's been awesome to watch how hard they've played and and the progress of guys like Miles Turner and Sabonis and Oladipo himself. I mean, like. His breakout last year was one of the wildest stories we've seen over the last five or six years. We got questions all summer, like, who's this year's Oladipo? Like, that just doesn't happen. And so watching Oladipo turn into that guy was very, very cool. But I also would say I don't know if, like, suddenly a budding dynasty has come undone. Oh, of of course not. they had a clear ceiling regardless. I'm not going to argue with that, but I do think that they had a pretty interesting path to being really good. And and the reason why I bring this path up is because, you know, Kevin Pritchard, former Blazers GM, uh, a guy who I've kind of followed his career for, you know, at least a decade – He's into this management guru stuff, stuff, Andrew. I mean, he's got a book called Help the Helper. Um, you know, he, He's one of these guys who's probably memorized that book, How to Go from Good to Great. And there yeah. was a path for this team to do that, to go from good to great. It involved... You old, think so? Well, listen, I, hold on. I hang on, hang on. Let me lay I it out. See it. He's probably one of these guys who's got that book, Going from Good to Great, memorized. And I think if you yeah. squint hard enough, there was a path potentially opening up. And, and here's kind of how I see it. It, it required... Okay. Oladipo being an all-NBA level player, right? Uh, that just being the foundation guy. It involved cashing in their significant salary cap flexibility this year to get sort of a second star or a true sidekick type player. Uh, it involved having a guys like Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis locked in um, for pretty long stretches because those guys are either on their first contracts or about to enter their second contracts. Um, and it involved uh, basically just being that scrappy group who just sort of spins the pieces around that core uh, and gets mm-hmm. themselves in positions to, you know, in an ideal world, conference finals and maybe like, you know, a dumb luck uh, conference finals run now or uh, finals run. Now, they're never going to win the title. But there was something brewing there if Oladipo was really like a top 15 type guy and solidified there uh, because they had just so much flexibility and so many chips to cash. I mean, guys like Collison, uh, Corey Joseph, Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, like every single one of those guys is on an expiring contract. They had picks that they could have trade going forward. Like if they wanted to be uh, opportunistic and aggressive, this was their season to do it, right? But when you look going forward, 
you know, Sabonis now is going to have to get paid. So pretty soon he's going to be looking at that extension. Uh, Miles Turner has already gotten paid. They're going to have to fi- yep. they're going to have to figure out a solution at point guard because I don't think Collison or, or Joseph are really the long term solutions there. They're going to have to pay Bogdanovich this summer. Like the the bill is coming due, right? And so this was their moment to act, and it wasn't the widest window. But there was that window where, like, maybe you could talk them into being like a top three team here in the East for the next few seasons. And now I think they're really kind of saddled into this like future of, you know, uh, slightly better than mediocre, but not somebody we have to take seriously. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think that's unfortunate. Um, One of the things I worry about with their future is they've been relying on thad young for the last two years and he's actually been really good for them and he's been a huge part of what makes their defense so good but i don't know how much more he has left um like looking down the line i think turner and sabonis um those guys are going to give them some flexibility because they have real trade value and they may not make sense uh on the same team but i think everybody around the league recognizes that both of them are are really good and young and are going to be good for the next six or seven yeah. years let me ask you though like if you're them would you trade one of those guys just to trade them because of the fit or would you trade them to like get a piece that's going to take you over to the top because i guess if i'm the pacers and both those guys have worked out pretty well and had really nice seasons this year I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty protective of those pieces. And if they're not getting me like a star level guy in a package, I'm probably just hanging tight on those guys. And now I agree. What's the point? I think they have more value in Indiana than they would if you're just flipping them just for like a better fit. Um, but I, what I'm saying is like, if you're wondering about Indiana's upside over the next like four or five years, they, they will at least have the option to dangle those guys as stars become available and take some, and if they want to take some risks to try and kind of like raise their ceiling a little bit, um, there's at least some pieces they can try to move around. The last question I have here before we move on, would you trade for Mike Conley uh, after the Oladipo injury? Because they, I mean, the Pacers are the one team that's been mentioned over and over again as a Conley des- destination. Um, Conley's from Indianapolis, I believe, or at least the state of Indiana. So, like, people are just sort of connecting the dots. Would you do it now? I wouldn't do it now. This is exactly what I'm getting at. You could have talked me into them biting the bullet and paying his contract. Going yeah. forward with the core of Conley, Oladipo, Sabonis, and Turner, that's kind of a squad, especially in the AAA Eastern Conference. Like, that's a team that I'm getting pretty excited about. Um, at least for the next, you know, 18 months. But yeah. if you don't know when Oladipo is coming back and you don't know if he's ever going to be 100% again, why are you going to be taking on like 60 plus million future money that's owed to Mike Conley? I just don't think you can justify that if you're the Pacers. Yeah, I would do it if it were Conley like a year and a half ago. But Conley hasn't looked quite the same, um, as particularly as the season has kind of unfolded here. Granted, like, the whole Grizzlies team has just fallen off a cliff, so maybe it's not entirely Conley's fault. Um, but uh, but right now, trading for him, it just seems like it would be kind of a, a sideways move. And I, I think there's there are better ways to gamble with the cap space they have. Can, so. can I ask you a dark question? Yeah. Which injury? This is, is all pretty dark. No, I know. But I, I think it's important <laughs> in these times, Andrew, just to be honest. Like, right. the Pacers fans. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. You know? Pacers it, fans, it, look, it if, sucks, you're, but... if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, these guys are being so hard on us. No, we're giving you the honest truth. It sucks. We understand it sucks. It, there's, It's not fun. I saw so many uh, season-ending injuries in Portland. I can't even count them all. And, and that's one other thing about Kevin Pritchard. 
there's been no one who's got more experience being in this specific situation than him dealing with Greg Oden multiple times, dealing with the Paul, Brandon Roy. Yeah, Paul George injury uh, when he was GM for the Pacers when he goes down. But my dark question for you was, which is worse for the Pacers sort of big picture long term? The Paul George injury when it happened or the Oladipo injury when it happened? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. God, first of all, I forgot that the Paul George injury was only about three or four years ago. Um, I would have to go with the Oladipo injury just because I think the lift that he provided, like everyone around that franchise, including fans who were ready to kind of like swear off the NBA and then fell in love with the team last year, were like, this is amazing. And there were options going forward. So I think to suddenly press pause on all that momentum is even more deflating than the Paul George injury was. Um, I guess that was in, what, 2014 or 15? Yeah, the reason why I asked that question is I think it's pretty closely split. Like, I think the emotional side will say Oladipo because I think he was more beloved by Pacers fans. And, like, the upward momentum that they sort of hadn't cashed in yet was so kind of intoxicating and like, hey, it's us against the world, we can do it, and, and all that stuff. But you look at that George injury. I mean, didn't that basically precipitate the end of a team that was you know conference finals like Roy Hibbert's life basically you know his his career anyways just essentially ended after the Paul George injury that team you know fell apart piece by piece by piece um that was probably the golden era of Pacers basketball here for the last what you know 10 years or maybe Reggie Miller that was about as good as it got yeah and pretty much for the next five ten years going forward and had he not got injured it's definitely one of those what ifs that you know how long could the Pacers have milked that so um you know what I would love to read a book on what happened to that Pacers team because it wasn't just Paul George. Like I'm here hearing you talk about it, I'm remembering the rest of that starting lineup. Like George Hill suddenly kind of regressed. Um, Danny Granger had fallen off a cliff like the over the final couple years there. David West, no, was he still on the, the Pacers at that point? Uh, he was, but you know, he was one of those pieces that sort of started crumbling. Him and Lance yeah. and, and Hibbert, it was just like year after year. <laughs> Lance that, part, too, yeah. They kept shedding guys. It was such guys. a mess from top to bottom. And then you're right that the George injury was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. But there was so much weirdness over the final year or two there. I would love to uh, get some, like on-the-ground reporting from anyone who was around that team. So Pacers writers, I'm ready to read. Just you hook it up. Candace Buckner, your, your new colleague, maybe you can get her. <laughs> yeah, well, Pacers fans can look forward to this great follow-up. Not only are we going to twist the knife here, <laughs> your season's over, but we're going to dig into the muck and remember the worst memories of your entire lifetime as a basketball fan. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to see Candace tonight. I will lobby for it. Um, but uh, moving on, the... Conley side of this, McKay in Utah says, I understand the Jazz aren't going to land a LeBron or KD, although that drives me nuts, he says. Utah is great. Why does everyone love LA? It's polluted, crowded, and expensive. It beats me. How? And then he continues and says, so should the Jazz bring on someone like Mike Conley or Otto Porter, knowing that the contracts are rough, but they aren't going to get a megastar in free agency? What do you think, Ben? And also, additional question from me. Do you ever feel like a sellout living in Los Angeles and whoa, yet whoa. constantly extolling the virtues of life in Utah? Wow. Uh, this got <laughs> pretty personal. It's time for you to take a look in the mirror, man. This got really personal. You all right? 
Yeah, Every- no, explain it. Explain yourself to McKay. That's all I ask. Everything okay over there? Look, um, <laughs> there's some places for recreation and some places for business, Andrew. What can I say? I'm in the center of the basketball universe. I mean, you can go anywhere in the world to watch basketball and cover it. You want to be yeah. in LA right now. Um, That's a great answer. I agree with that. I mean, I go out to Bryce Canyon and I, I see all the hoodoos, you know, they're beautiful rock structures. I don't see a lot I of LeBrons. I have no idea what a hoodoo is. <laughs> I, I don't see a lot of LeBrons out there. But um, here's the thing. Uh, Mike Conley and the Utah Jazz was my ideal fit. As soon as yeah. it sort of became clear that, that he was being shopped because Utah is going to struggle to get the guys like McKay mentioned. Um, Mike Conley already plays their system. It would be a pretty smooth balance between him and Donovan Mitchell. I think, you know, the regression that you were seeing in Conley and you described a little bit earlier actually works pretty well because he wouldn't have to be the lead dog in Utah. That's going to be Donovan, right? Uh, you have him run some pick and roll with Rudy Gobert. It's going to be an alley parade. You know, there's no question about that. And I think he fits in with their defensive culture, teamwork, buy-in and all that stuff. Um, I know the Utah fans, they really want Tobias Harris. You know, they want to they want to just plunder him from the Clippers. I think that's like their number one goal just because they want that extra, you know, floor spacer and, and scoring option. Um, yeah. And obviously it would be one of those like pre-free agency moves where you trade for him uh, if you can and then try to like wine and dine him in Utah and, and get him to, you know, sign on this summer. Um, but the prospect of being able to trade for Conley now and just having him locked in as your point guard upgrade over Rubio or Exum or whoever else is pretty enticing to me. And I would definitely think hard about it in part because Mitchell's still on the rookie deal, right? So you might as well splurge a little bit on a veteran like Conley if you don't have to pay Mitchell that much. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I like Conley in Utah more than just about any other destination that's been floated, uh, because it does like... He needs to go to a team that's not going to ask him to be who he's been over the last eight or nine years. I think that's like the best case scenario for him because he's he can still help, but he's just not going to be like a twenty and nine elite defender, like uh, borderline all star. Um, and I think coming in with clear eyes is probably healthiest for everyone. So I like Conley in Utah. I also really like Otto Porter in Utah, and I, you know. The, the Wizards are going to be trying to save money, I think. Uh, I, I don't know that. That's not, like, reported. But, like, it's not an accident that Otto has been floated in, like, a dozen trade rumors over the last two months. And, Is there uh, any and piece think, you want coming back for him? Well, and so that would be my question on Utah's side. Is, like, I don't know who they can really trade that's going to have much value to either Washington or to Memphis. Um, you know, in the like... If they're trading with the Wizards to get Otto, they have to hope that Washington's just trying to like avoid tax penalties, clear his salary off the books, and is going to take thirty or forty cents on the dollar. And Memphis, like, I don't know what kind of value someone like Ricky Rubio has to them, or or, or like a, a pick that's probably going to be in the twenties. And, and yeah, that's my question where is though, it is all there kind of comes undone? But is there a better offer out there for Conley? I think that's a fair question. I mean, if they're offering a first round pick in salary cap relief. You know, that's not nothing if you're the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, I think you're trying to pivot and enter a different era of your franchise. Like, they have a lot of money tied up in Conley and and Gasol, and they're not going anywhere. Um, To me, I would be less worried about the quality of the players coming back and, you know, more playing the asset game if I was Memphis. Yeah, well, there's some... Uh, initial Grizzlies talk. I think we started with with depressing Pacers reality, and I don't necessarily know if we need to like 
go too in depth to how depressing the Grizzlies have well, become and on like the, where we are with Gasol and Conley. Here's how we should view the Grizzlies, though. Like this is basically Jaron Inc., right? I mean, hasn't yeah. hasn't that now been officially revealed? It's now going to be his show. So sure. do you think it's actually better for them to just hang on to Mark? I mean, how much are they going to be able to get from Marcus Gasol? I can't imagine it's very much. Uh, teams don't really need centers. You know, the good teams don't need uh, to pay him as much as he's making. Uh, the bad teams, I, I don't view think would view him as like a guy who's going to be a, a needle mover, you know, bumping them into a playoff uh, conversation, for example. So yeah. do you just have him as the high-priced mentor? You know, do you just kind of keep mean, him around? I think... That part depends on whether Mark Gasol is into that role. Um, but if if he was, uh, and if he's willing to kind of embrace that as his final chapter, and, and he's talked over and over again about how much he loves Memphis and what an honor it's been to kind of like represent that franchise over the last 10 years. And so maybe he would. Um, but I do think that there's probably just as much value in doing that than trading him for, again, you're going to get like, 15 cents on the dollar and Gasol it's hard you look around the league like there aren't many teams that would actually be better with him um and uh and and also for whom it would make sense to give him 25 million dollars next year because I I think at this point it seems like opting in is going to be his best move um so yeah yeah, I I I support that in part because Gasol has also like fallen off enough so he's not going to impair any tanking efforts in Memphis and that's kind of sad to say but like I think that that makes sense in a lot of different respects yeah if your options are like trading him for say like DeAndre Jordan's expiring contract and like some other contract right and not really like a, a top flight draft pick uh, or you just turn Gasol into like a glorified Dirk, you know, and you're the face of our franchise still. We're still going to ride with you. We're loyal. It's your job for the next year and a half to be an assistant coach and make Jaron as, as good as he possibly can be. Uh, yeah. I, I, to me, I guess if I were them, even though Conley's a significantly better player than Gasol, I would be more motivated to move Conley uh, than Gasol based on how much I think they could get back and then how much I, I think that they might be able to help the franchise in other ways. The single funniest. I'm, I'm into that. Yeah. I think what they should do is trade Conley and then use that cap space to take on bad deals. And uh, this is something that Matt Moore has hammered over and over again. Like the play for some of these small market teams is to use is to open up cap space and then take on bad contracts and try to stockpile as many picks as possible. And I think that should be the blueprint for the next two or three years in Memphis and sort of like. See how many assets you can you can accumulate, and then uh, and then just go to the draft and try to build a team that will be able to compete in 2021 and 2022. And I think clearing the Conley space will give them enough room to do that and take on like the Jabari the Jabari Parkers of the world or whatever. Yeah, no no question about it. Now the fi- my final Gasol thought though is that the single funniest Gasol trade idea is also like fairly plausible. What uh-huh. if what if he gets traded for his brother again? What if it's Marcus Gasol to San Antonio for Pau Gasol and filler, and it, <laughs> you basically undo the huge blockbuster that you know made everyone so mad at the the Grizzlies back in in the Lakers days with with Pau going to L.A. and now you've got Demar Derozan, Lamarcus Aldridge, and Marcus Gasol as your core of just you know we're going to try to grind you up and, and mid rangers and, you know, yeah. slow you down defensively. It, like it's not crazy. Is it? Well, I support that idea because I don't know what the hell the Spurs do, 
but they're able to extend guys' careers about three or four years longer than anyone would have ever expected. And I think we're seeing Powell hit the end of that line. And so he's kind of like, he's got one foot in the grave basketball-wise. But it would be awesome to see San Antonio exhume Marcus Saul and kind of bring him back to life for a couple years. Because like, the good version of Marcus Saul is really, really fun to watch. Um, yeah, Powell and... was done when he got to San Antonio. And then somehow he's still playing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and he had kind of like a year or two there where he looked okay. I still have no idea why they paid him uh, when he hit free agency. I believe that was the summer before this one. Um, but wasn't a wasn't a great idea at the time. It hasn't worked out. But yeah, swap him for Mark, bring him in, and I have no idea how the hell the Spurs continue to win. So let's just like continue to suspend disbelief and watch them try to pull it off. Yeah, I think if I could have any dream trades, it would be uh, Marcus All uh, to the Spurs, Mike Conley to the Jazz. You know, keep all the grit and grind in house with the winning franchises that play the right way, and uh, you know, write some funny stories. Do you think New Orleans is desperate enough to get in on either of these guys? Because like. Are they with shades of like the 2018 Cavaliers where it's like we have to like put together a win around LeBron. This is our last chance. Like we've got to do it. And, you know, you look at Anthony, he's injured right now. They've still said they're not going to trade him. He hasn't asked for a trade. Don't you pretty much have to go for broke this season if you're the Pelicans and like show him that you're not just the franchise that let Boogie out the door, that you are serious about trying to build a winner around him? Like, could you see a scenario where they make a deal for Conley and now all of a sudden their backcourt is like Conley and Drew, um, and their core is Conley, Drew, and Davis. I mean, I guess so. Uh, let me tell you, if they trade for Conley and then have Conley and Drew holding down the fort after Anthony Davis leaves next summer, that's going to be a really depressing tenth seed, starring guys that NBA writers like a little bit too much, and it's going to be Drew and Conley. Wait, like, wait, I, hold on, you're sure you don't want to pay sixty million per year to two non All Stars? <laughs> yeah, like I don't know, man. I mean, all due respect to everybody down there, uh, and I, I also like Conley doesn't move the needle enough for them in terms of potentially recruiting Anthony Davis and convincing Davis and Rich Paul and whoever they need to convince that this can work. I don't see enough upside there to make it worthwhile. I don't don't think it has any chance of actually working, but is it the kind of move that you feel like obligated to do? Like you're kind of going through the motions. So what you're asking, is it the kind of move that a dumb, desperate team might try to pull off? Yeah, it's like, you know, the marriage is crumbling. And so like there's some big like goodwill gesture like, oh, here's this fancy jewelry or here's our big like, you know, trip to Hawaii or whatever. <laughs> and then it winds up being a horrible trip and, the you know, the ring yeah, gets lost or like whatever. Two months before the divorce and you really regret that $15,000 vacation. But people do that, Andrew. That's what I'm saying. Like, could, <laughs> could the Pelicans be that guy? That's my question. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they could. Can I tell you my favorite uh, Conley trade scenario? Please. Well, let me tell you, there is a point guard in Washington who is making a lot of money. (laughs) And there is also uh, a supporting cast in Washington that is currently overachieving. And if you put kind of a a capable placeholder in at point guard, and that's, I think, what Conley's going to be over the next three or four years, um, the Wizards would be in pretty good shape. And so if it were me running the Wizards... I would uh, bite the bullet. It would be very expensive to try and trade John Wall in the middle of the season, which is why it's always been unrealistic. 
but I would not only eat that money, um, but I would also attach this year's first, maybe? Maybe not this year's. I don't know. I would attach a first-round pick to Wall and send him to Memphis for uh, for Conley. And also, if I were Memphis, I would feel good about rolling the dice and seeing what you have with Wall. And, and if it doesn't, well, <laughs> all right. Get out of here. I, I was, I was kind of going here. along on this uh, <laughs> this magic carpet ride until you got to that part, but keep going. Well, look, you get an, you get a first-round pick that will have real value because the Wizards are not going to finish any better than 8th or ninth or 7th at best, and so you're going to be in the top half of the first round. And then, um, you know, you, you have to eat Wall's salary, but uh, he's not the worst player. I, I can't do it. I can't really sell yeah. it. Slow but down, slow down, slow down. It would be a dream for the Wizards. Have you heard of John Hollinger? Yes. Okay, John Hollinger is in the Memphis Grizzlies front office, and he's famous for what? Concocting formulas to describe value among basketball players, right? Like yeah. that's his bread and butter. Do you think it takes a John Hollinger level brain to realize how poor of a value John Wall is? Like, don't you think that every single fan, every casual fan, people who haven't even watched NBA games can tell that John Wall is the last player in the league whose contract you want on your books? So don't you think a real thinker like a John Hollinger is going to be staying as far away from that uh, eventuality as possible? Well, listen, John Hollinger, if you're listening out there, I think John has a lot left in him. And I think <laughs> a, a change of scenery could be exactly what he's looking for. And you should sort of see what you got. And if if need be, the Wizards can even take back the Parsons deal. If that's what it takes to grease the wheels and make this happen, a first and wall for Conley and Parsons. And look, Hollinger knows how little value Parsons has been giving them. So let's let's... Solve two problems at once here. Everybody can win in this deal. I'm sure he can also count the years left on contracts too, though. I'm sure he's going to be able to calculate (laughs) uh, how future money works. Hey, let me ask you a question, though, because um, I've come up with what I believe is a brilliant plan to fix the Wizards, and you tell me, okay? It's an outside-the-box solution, but my editors were asking me the other day, like, basically, how screwed is Washington because of the John Wall contract? And I was just like, well, really screwed. And they're like, well, how screwed? So we're going through the whole mental exercise of like, what's their best way out of it? Here's what I came up with the best solution to fix the Wizards. They need to rally support among their fellow owners to institute an amnesty clause. A new amnesty clause. (laughs) Every three years. They need to have an amnesty clause every three years for every franchise. Uh, If you don't use it, it doesn't roll over. Uh, You basically have a three-year term to use it at, at every point going from here all the way going forward. Would Washington um, use an amnesty clause on John Wall this summer if they could? In other words, they pay him to go away, but they don't have to pay the luxury tax. They don't have to, they can use the salary cap space to pursue other players and all that stuff. I don't know, man. Honest answer, that's a, a huge check for any owner to write. And, and Ted is probably not going to want to spend... I think Wall has... <laughs> This is scary to even think about. I think Wall has like 190 million on his <laughs> deal after this season, and so that's tough. That's hey, a care- tough pill to hey, swallow. Hey Andrew, careful! John Hollinger is still listening now. Don't don't <laughs> don't play it up too much. Um, look, I do, John. Think- if you're listening, the cap is going to rise over the next couple of years. It's not going to look quite as onerous as it does now. Just have have a little faith, John Hollinger. Yeah, it's not going to rise that much. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, here's what I'd say though. Uh, 
at some point in the next three years, if they had an amnesty clause to use, they would use it on John Wall. That's my my statement, and I, I think I that's think they how would you do fix it the three Wizards. years from now. But this summer, that's asking a lot, and I also don't think it's going to be quite as impossible to move Wall uh, as people around the league assume. A lot of people have said like he is completely untradeable. I like jokes well, aside, I do think that he has a little bit of upside if if teams are willing to get him for basically nothing, and teams like. Phoenix teams like Orlando like they have nothing to spend cap space on anyways so rolling the dice with wall isn't the craziest thing in the world okay and, um, uh, Andrew I actually my phone's ringing I can hear Ernie Grunfeld on the other line he's actually hoping you will volunteer to convince Bradley Beal to remain patient and then resign during this three-year period as they wait for the amnesty of John Wall because that's a real factor here too right like how long are you going to ask Bradley Beal to sort of like, okay, you're the guy, but you're not really the guy. We're waiting for, you know, D- Mr. D. Ruggs' best friend to come back, and then everything's going to get turned over to him. I mean, <laughs> at some point, well, this needs to be Beal's show just entirely, right? And if I'm Beal, it's like, give it to me or trade me. That would be my mentality. Maybe not right now, but within the next 12 months. Shout out to D. Ruggs, wherever he is. You sent me his Instagram a, a week or two ago. Ruggo to Don. Um, so the Beal thing is interesting, though, in part because he's playing really, really, really well right now. And if this were to continue and Beal were to lead the Wizards into the playoffs, granted it's the East, granted nobody cares, and I, I hear all that, but like if Beal puts them on his back and averages like 27 and 7 and 5 rebounds or or. or whatever like he's he he would be at an all nba level i believe and if he makes all nba he may be eligible for a supermax extension this summer and the wizards are already the ultimate cautionary tale for how the supermax can can really screw teams and so i think that they would be looking at that saying look like we just uh, brad we love you but we can't do this like you have to understand we cannot commit this money to you um, and we haven't really seen a team do that. Just straight up say, we like you, we want to keep you on our roster, but we're not paying you. And uh, that would have some interesting ramifications, I, I think. You better trade John Wall to the Grizzlies, man. Like, if that's going to be your rationale, it's like, oh, well, sorry, we already got Wall's contract. We're kind of stuck here. We already paid Otto, so we're not going to keep Beal. Uh, that's, yeah. that's how you hustle backwards. I think that's the phrase, Andrew. Well, it's interesting because everyone in D.C. wants to make the playoffs. But if you make the playoffs, you're going to have to start having the all-NBA conversation with Beal. Um, anyways, continuing on to another guard who is playing out of his mind right now. Great transition. Uh, I want to read this email from Tom in Osaka. Shout out to all our Japan listeners. Tom says, on De- oh, and he wrote this on December 12th. He says, All we keep hearing is how the Rockets are failing because of a roster crunch and Chris Paul's regression. So shouldn't they just tank here since they're already so far gone? Why not just write off this year and get a top eight pick? Either the rookie can help you because he's got a great upside and he can add some athleticism, or you can flip that pick to get you a star who gets you a little bit closer to a title. And uh, Tom then followed up this week asking us to please not hit him with the cold takes treatment. And so we're not doing this to shame, Tom, but I do think in the middle of the hardened hysteria here, it's important to remember how screwed this team looked six weeks ago. And I think that's 
uh, like Harden's scoring has been out of this world. We are kind of like watching a, a run that's crazy now and is going to look even more insane when we revisit it 10 or 15 years down the line. But it's also just unbelievable like how how much he, he has saved their season here. Like they the Rockets like when you see the team they have out there, they just have no business being in the thick of the playoff hunt, like some of the guys they're rolling out every night. Uh, but Harden has been so unbelievable that it just doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a top five player for you. It'd be nice if Anthony Davis did that. Um, no, just <laughs> completely kidding. That's true. I do think that that gives him the edge in all future brow arguments because that had been a talking point for a couple years there. Uh, not really kidding, but you know, I'm kidding. Um, he saved their season. I was never that worried about the Rockets I mean clearly we had to adjust them out of the like pencil them into the Western Conference finals conversation and I still think that we need to adjust that because I'm not ready to to elevate them to that status yet until we see Chris Paul back and and looking good but there's no doubt that Harden has single-handedly carried them uh you know I've been wondering like have you thought about how he's kind of crashed this whole ball hog debate a little bit uh, because How if you so? well guys like Kobe and Mello they took crap from the analytics community for years and years because of high volume shooters and maybe they're inconsistent they're taking tough shots and it's hero ball and it's this and that right uh, then you've got Westbrook who comes along and his usage rate is just like plus you know it's over 40 he's doing everything it's obviously to the detriment of his team he's got one style where it's like I you know I do what I want and that kind of becomes this whole thing that the smart basketball fan sort of nitpick. Yeah. Then you've got the Golden State Warriors on the complete opposite of this end of the spectrum where it's like kumbaya, spread the ball around, lead the league in assist rates. All of Clay Thompson's shots come off of an assist. Like Steph has to do the little dirty work and all of that, right? And so they're on this kind of higher plane by themselves. And most people agree like that's the right way to do it. But then here right. you have Harden crashing this whole conversation where it's like, I'm going to use as many possessions as Westbrook. I'm going to play for a team whose assist rate is basically bottom three because all I do is just pound the ball and the only assists we get are assists that I personally make when I'm like kicking out to a wide open three-point shooter once the defense like triple teams me. Yeah. And his shot attempts are through the roof. But when you look at his shot quality, I mean, to me, he hardly ever takes bad shots. He takes contested three-pointers that he can make. He takes wide open three-pointers. He gets himself really quality looks going to the basket. He can create for himself a wide open mid-range jumper, which he's capable of hitting. And he goes to the free throw line constantly. So like, I think, you know, like the Rebecca Lobos of the world who are on Twitter kind of angry that Harden's not passing the ball more and it's just dribble, dribble and everybody's watching. Like, I think there's some truth to that. Like, it does sort of feel a little ball hoggy the way that he plays, but at the same sure. time, like the math pencils out so well that I completely understand why Mike D'Antoni is just like, you know, do whatever the heck you want. I don't even care. I'm not going to play this like Steve Nash, seven seconds or less style anymore. I'm just going to let you do literally whatever you want with the basketball. Your teammates are going to watch you and that's our game plan. Yeah. And I think one of the crazier things about this season, and I wrote a big thing in this week's sports illustrated about Harden and, um, and this was one area that I wasn't really able to touch on because we had to cut it for space. But uh, just the durability to be able to do this night after night and stay as efficient as he has is really impressive. And, you know, 
I don't know how much of a difference there is between what Harden is doing and what Westbrook was doing, except that Harden is a good shooter and Harden takes better shots. And so as a result, the Rockets offense is significantly more efficient than OKC was back in 2016 or whatever. However, I, I think they're similar in, in key aspects in that like everybody could watch Russ at his peak, his MVP season, and say... This is incredible. This is like nothing we've ever seen before. And this is definitely not going to work in the playoffs. And I think part of that is also true with Harden because he's just, he's having to do so much that A, he's probably going to wear down. And B, he makes the Rockets easier to guard in a seven game series. And um, and so that's why I think Maury recognized that, and that's one of the reasons he traded for Chris Paul a couple years ago, because he knew you needed to mix in some variety. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Chris Paul is going to determine how serious we have to take them in the playoffs. There's no no question in my mind about that. I guess the distinction I would draw between him and Westbrook, though, is like I always thought Westbrook was playing hard with purpose, but he wasn't playing with a purpose. He didn't have a, a grander vision, right? <laughs> to me, yeah. To me, Harden has that grander vision, and he sticks to it possession after possession, quarter after quarter, half after half, game after game, month after month. Like they know exactly how they want to play. They're doing it by the numbers. It's a smart math equation that they're able to sort of basically beat almost everybody with outside of, you know, Golden State and and San Antonio and other elite teams once they get to the playoffs. And he doesn't deviate, right? So even though they're both holding the ball constantly, even though they could both be accused of sort of ball hogging, uh, to me, it is significantly different from sort of a philosophical standpoint. But I do wonder, like, you know, if I'm the Golden State Warriors and I'm watching, you know, James Harden do this at the same time, sort of in like, you know, diametric opposition to what Golden State's done in terms of spreading the ball around. Everybody contributes. Even Kavon Looney gets to be a hero once in a while. Um, right. I'm wondering if I look at Harden and I just kind of snub my nose and almost wonder if he's bad for basketball. You know what I mean? I think that there's definitely some of that on the Golden State side, and um, and you know, and some of their complaints are valid too, because I, I you look at Harden, yeah, like, and there are two well, things for you though. Do you think Harden? I mean, like you wrote an incredible feature story, like you mentioned, everybody should go read it on SI.com. Do you think Harden is bad for basketball? Like, if you had kids playing basketball, would you want them to watch Harden? Because like we can marvel at his stats and we can count up all of his records. But would I mean if you're like the Rebecca Lobo of the world, do you think he's like a good influence on the game? No, I I definitely do not have a problem with the way Harden is playing, and it, it's funny because you know I've been critical of him over the years. So writing the feature was its own little challenge to, for me to sort of sit there and be objective and look at what he's doing, and uh, and those challenges are going to continue. By the way, as both you and I start to do more kind of feature work. And have to deviate away from long-standing takes. It's going to be kind of an adventure along the way. Uh, but the Harden stuff, like, here's the thing: I, 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 basketball is best when there are all kinds of different styles out there. So I think it would be bad for basketball if everyone around the NBA began playing like the Rockets. And to some degree, that's that's happened. And uh, and I do think that that's bad for the game. But I think watching Harden do this night after night, like, you just have to sit back and be like. I can't believe this is real. I can't believe he's not wearing down. I can't believe it's getting crazier as we go. Because, like, I wrote that story and filed it, like, uh, a week early, basically. And I had to sit back and, and root for the Rockets to not lose. And then they lost Capella. 
and, and then they lost Daniel House and had to send him back down to the G League. And none of it really mattered because Harden just kept getting more and more absurd. And that's how the last, like, five weeks have been in Houston. And so in that respect, like, all you can do is sit back and be like, holy shit, like, how is this guy real? Yeah, and, I mean, the backlash reminds me a little bit. Remember when Mark Jackson was like, oh, Steph Curry, he's going to have all these kids shooting these crazy three-pointers. You know, don't don't model your game after Steph Curry. And it was kind of like implying, you know, when he was in a broadcasting role that, like, yeah. Steph was almost bad for basketball. Uh, it reminds the, the criticism of Harden reminds me of that a little bit because I don't think you can teach a kid to be the next Harden just like I don't think you can teach a kid to be the next Curry. Like, you can be Trey Young out there shooting crazy three-pointers. But James Harden, I think, is the most skilled foul drawer in NBA history. Like, there's guys who took more free throws, but they were getting fouled because they couldn't make the free throws. Harden can make his free throws. Nobody wants to foul Harden. He gets to the free throw line because he can control his defender's body better than the defender can control his own body. One thing I've been doing recently when I watch him get fouled is I just watch the defensive possession, the the defensive player throughout the entire possession. If you Mm -hmm. only watch guys who foul Harden, Andrew, their lives are so miserable. They're making mistakes <laughs> totally. that they they make, they're making mistakes they spent all day preparing not to make. That they listen to their coach tell them not to make for hours. They're incredible athletes. They're on balance. They're some of the best basketball players in the world. And Harden can manipulate them better than they can manipulate themselves. And I do think, like, kind of big picture in terms of appreciating Harden. Mm-hmm. Um, like I could tell, like, like like you're describing when you're writing your piece, like you gave him the credit that he's deserved, but you didn't love doing it, right? Like you yeah. weren't like like excited about it. I'm and not I, gonna sit here and claim to be Harden's number one fan all of a sudden. I definitely respect him, and this run is wild, but there are still some questions I have. So yeah, reading your piece, it kind of reminded me. I'm like not great with pop culture references, right? But like if the Warriors are like the Beatles, right, or the Warriors are like Michelangelo. I still yeah. feel like Harden is in this like avant-garde category where like maybe he's like the heavy metal artist that is so good and it's so good at heavy metal that eventually the conventional music critic has to be like, all right, like this guy is good. I don't want to listen to him, <laughs> but this guy is like really good for his standard. Or it's like that avant-garde art show you might go to like in New York City where like literally they're throwing like blood against the wall and it's like there's a dead chicken corpse on the ground. And like you study that kind of stuff for years and years, you're like, all right, I don't get this whatsoever. <laughs> but everyone's here, and like all these people are paying this artist like millions of dollars. Gotta respect it <laughs> to go to their living room and spread like chicken blood all over their living room, right? So therefore, this person is considered like we have to give like we're the art critics of the world. We have to give them their credit. I kind of yeah. think that's the space that Harden operates right now. Yeah, that's the art show where you're standing there. You, all you could say is, you know, it's um, it's certainly different, you know. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen anything like this. Uh, Can we go to yeah. dinner now? <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. And there have been some people wondering why Harden isn't being celebrated more. And I think that part of it is that his style does leave people a little bit cold sometimes. And, and even as he's scoring 60 points, 60 from Harden is less exciting and less thrilling than it would be from Steph Curry. If Steph drops 60, no question. like 55 of those points are going to be unbelievable. Same with KD and same with LeBron to some degree. And, and Harden is more kind of a, a 
technical master and i i totally agree with you that like there is a real art and i wrote that in the story just the way he moves on offense and the way he exploits every mistake from a defender is super impressive and like you can't help but respect just how good he is at at controlling his body and controlling anyone else who's trying to guard him and uh yeah it's not even that he's exploiting the mistakes he's creating the mistakes right like he does both but like he's like putting you in situations where like your body just can't handle it Um, and i think that stuff is historically good and that's part of what i'm enjoying about the harden run here is like there's no question that harden is one of the greatest players and greatest scorers the nba has ever seen and so like i think Every player who's on that level deserves a, a crowning achievement. People are going to appreciate for the next 25 or 30 years. And this is that for Harden. And, and I think that's cool. Um, yeah, no, you I, nailed it. You nailed it when you said Curry's 60 is going to be prettier and more exciting to watch than Harden's 60. I think my plea to all basketball fans everywhere, if you're in this category where you're rolling your eyes because we're giving Harden all this credit, uh, what I would say to you is this. like He is on a scoring run that only Mike and Kobe have ever done in the modern history of the NBA, right? Like this may not happen again next season. Um, The circumstances that Andrew's laid out to like contribute to it happening right now are very unique. And he is on another planet in terms of his game and his mastery. When you're watching him, imagine you're that guy going to the art show and you don't get it. Imagine you're that guy (laughs) listening to, you know, your younger brother's music and you don't get it. And instead of, you know, continuing to fall into those same old excuses of, oh, you know, it's ugly to watch. Oh, I don't find it very entertaining and and all that other stuff. Open your mind, expand your worldview, expand your vision, sit down and watch hard and go to work because this guy is putting on masterclasses night after night after night. It may not be your cup of tea. It's an acquired taste, but you should be appreciating it if you love good basketball. I love when you take to the pulpit and start lecturing the fans, <laughs> um, but I agree with you. I, I, I think that everybody should just kind of like chill on the uh, hardened criticisms because literally anytime there's a hardened, it happened to me, it happened to, <laughs> and me, there were also people being like, are you kidding me? Did Ben Golliver ghostwrite this piece? Like, wh- where is the sharp we've heard from the last three years? Um, but there are also... Be- beneath any hardened tweet or story, there are all these fans being like, who gives a shit? He, he's doing this with free throws. He's taking 40 shots a night, whatever, whatever. The thing I would add to everything that you said is as crazy as this streak has been, it's also been just critical to everything the Rockets are trying to do. And he's winning this way. And that's part of what makes it so cool is it's not just Harden losing his mind in a bunch of games that don't really matter. Like he has kept them afloat by being progressively more ridiculous as each week passes. Yeah, and that's why if I was the Warriors, this would bother me even more than the Russ situation or like, you know, the keepers of like the right way to play basketball because he's just good enough at it to make it his team's best strategy, right? But it is yeah. it the best overall strategy. Is this how any team should really build itself if they're trying to achieve like basketball nirvana? And I think pretty strongly the answer is no there, right? I mean, well, the whole the whole is almost always greater than the sum of the parts. If you have five balanced, talented players, that should beat out even one extraordinary, uh, extraordinary player. And the fact that Harden is able to push the Warriors to Game 7 last year's Western Conference Finals is able to have this huge turnaround narrative uh, that you were describing earlier. Um, if I'm a guy who like has strength in numbers tattooed on his chest like Steve Kerr probably does, 
it would drive me up the wall. <laughs> totally, totally. And uh, by the way, just for context on that Rockets piece, you and I were podcasting like six weeks ago, and um, and I came on and we were talking through Houston's struggles, and I said like this is a byproduct of the collective bargaining agreement and just how how difficult it is to really maintain a contender in like today's cap landscape. And so I initially was headed down there to write about everything that was going wrong for Houston. And then like my trip got delayed by a week or two. And by the time I actually got down there, Harden had basically made all of the problems irrelevant. And so the story became about him. Uh, But it's a credit to just how ridiculous he's been. And on the Warriors side, as far as their criticisms are concerned, they're not entirely wrong because I do think you can look at Harden and his, his step back, his look, the way he's shooting on step backs is another thing that you can say, like, James Harden is going to ruin basketball, blah, blah, blah. But, like, nobody in the history of the league has been able to be as effective with that shot as he's been. And that's not going to be easy to replicate. So, uh, but in addition to that, if I were the Golden State Warriors, I would look at him and be like, look, half of those step backs are a travel. And you look at how effective he's been with the crossover. Well, great. He's allowed to push off on almost every crossover he, he does. <laughs> and so, like, there are valid criticisms. And the way he's officiated is kind of its own conversation. I didn't want to get into it in, in my piece. But um, that's all going to be part of the Harden experience, like, for the next five years. Yeah, I guess my concern here is uh, if you want to be the next James Harden, not only uh, are you going to have to learn how to do that crazy step back uh, that you're describing, but you're also going to have to convince your coaches or you're going to have to kind of create a structure that allows you to just dribble for 18 seconds every single possession where your teammates are just staring at you and you have to be good enough at doing that to not have sort of a mutiny against you, yeah. right? And so if I was a high school basketball coach, I would be like, you know, praising like hallelujah to what Golden State stand for and I would be like banning Rockets games <laughs> from my team. Like I would not let my <laughs> totally. my high school teenagers watch what Harden's doing because everyone's going to want to do that. It looks like a lot of fun to get to do everything on the basketball court and I think if you have Harden's level of skills, you can do it. If you don't, it won't work. Yeah. Well, and it's a credit to Mike D'Antoni. Everybody down there just loves that dude and I love talking to him. Um he had a lot of great quotes in the piece as well so go read it we've talked too much about the rockets um but moving on i don't know if we're gonna even get to some of our other substantive questions here we don't need to talk about justice winslow shout out to justice winslow all right we've had a justice winslow question on here for the last like three rundowns yeah that's enough let's shout it out but andrew we've got more (laughs) we've got more pressing concerns because the fans have been coming through in a big time way at openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. They were hammering you with amnesty requests, were they not? Um, Yes, very quickly, because we also have to fit in your... Your lantern segment, of course, uh, other email. Uh, but for, for anyone who missed it, Ben and I put out a request for fan amnesty applications and, um, and had people write in to talk about how miserable they are. Maybe one day, maybe next week, I can write my own fan amnesty application for the Wizards, um, depending on how they handle the next few games. Hey, but, Andrew, just like credit cards, you've been pre-approved. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anyone who's listened to this podcast for the last three years. Um, Liam says, I've been a Bulls fan since 1991. I live in England and support an appalling team, Millwall. And 
honestly, if you're supporting a team called Millwall, you've already lost. Um, So he said, the idea of a winner appealed to me when I was 10 years old. I have no ties to Chicago, and I'm just about ready to say that right now, 25 years has been enough. I'm going to find this tough as I'm fully committed to this Bulls team. And I can confirm that. Uh, Liam has sent several great Bulls emails over the last few years. (laughs) Probably 300 Bulls emails over the years. Yeah, they're always pretty good. Um, And he says, I'm jealous of the Australian fans who pick teams linked to players of their nationality. I guess Joel Freeland is the best UK-born player. Portland Trailblazers legend. To the Blazers. (laughs) Yeah, so he, but he says, look, Following Chicago is taking its toll. I notice I've gone from a mild-mannered, affable guy to a drill sergeant who has his children completing burpees before breakfast and telling them I'm juiced for their school reports. Please help me. So he's channeling Boylan there. Yeah, Boylan Um, lifestyle has gone across the pond, Andrew. (laughs) It's spreading. What do you think, though? Because, look, he did get it. He he got to enjoy six titles with the Bulls. Yeah, but... You could just call yourself a Jordan fan rather than a Bulls fan. It's okay, Liam. Like, I think that's a pretty obvious just exit strategy here. What he, His email, though, reminded me of this great documentary on Netflix called Sunderland, which is about this uh, UK soccer team that falls from, like, the uh, the Premier League down to, like, the third division, whatever they call it over there, and how yeah. the fans who live in their town have, like, literally nothing else going on. They've all been fans for their entire life. It's, like, a big historic club with this amazing stadium. And so they're li- it's just, like... The whole documentary is just watching their lives fall apart and how horrible (laughs) everything is for them. And like, it's kind of an economically depressed area. And so that kind of adds a layer to it. But reading Liam's email and watching that documentary, there is a lot of overlap. Like I really feel for Bulls fans right now. I do too. I would not recommend um, hopping on the Joel Freeland bandwagon and and (laughs) hitching your wagon to the Blazers. Uh, The Blazers are not in a great spot either. So let's say... just keep it agnostic for now. You can you can yeah. free yourself of the Bulls. They've I think he miserable. should. My advice: detach from the Bulls, play the field. You know, yes. watch games with an open mind and see who strikes you. And the Bulls, by the way, every Bulls fan can can look at the current management structure and say, "Look, I'm out until you fire Gar or uh, or Jim Paxson," and that's perfectly fair. And everyone should probably do that. And Ben yeah, I can, says, I can relate to that. It was like when Brady Hoke was the, the, the coach of Michigan and it was like, God, I, it's so hard to watch the games. But the day they fired him, I was like starting Facebook groups to celebrate. Like I was all, all the <laughs> way back in. So yeah. that's a good way to look at it. Just take a extended sabbatical until the Garpax era ends. That's how I'm going to feel when the Wizards do the wall for Conley deal in 10 days. It's going to be amazing. Uh, it's going to be our best pa- podcast ever. Shout out to John Hollinger. Ben says, hey guys, I got into basketball a couple years ago. I was a Hornets fan because they were local, but this season I was at a game and I realized there's just nothing entertaining other than Kemba. And even Kemba, he's catching double teams left, right, and center because he's the only good player on the roster. I would like permission to be a Celtics fan because I'm a dookie who likes Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving. I can't take any more of Michael Jordan screwing over Kemba. This is complicated, Ben, because we did get a few emails from Hornets fans. Um, I can't grant this, though, like oh. on any level. Are you kidding me? Like, you you live in North Carolina. You should be a UNC fan. If you live in New Jersey, you can be a Duke fan. You're in North Carolina. Roof for the heels. And as far as 
we we're, look, we got a couple people asking if they could be fans of the Celtics or the Warriors or the Lakers. Those teams are off limits. You can't go from a, a long-suffering fan of like the Kings, the Suns, or the Bulls and suddenly just start latching on to the best teams in the league. Like you got to have a little originality. And um, particularly if you're picking the Celtics because you're a Duke fan, I can't possibly abide that. You're picking the most annoying bandwagon. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of hear what you're saying. At first, I was going to give him the amnesty because I've been of the opinion that it's not really that much fun to watch Kemba Walker for years. And I know that's not exactly a popular opinion because, yeah, you know, it's not he's, a cool guy take. But I just, it's great. Okay, keep doing it, Kemba. And especially as Harden kind of ramps his thing up, it's like, okay, this is like the Kmart version of, of Harden, right? Okay, it is. You know, here's the thing Kemba is fun one out of every five games like there's nothing better than Kemba when he's feeling it but there are a lot of nights when he's not feeling it and he's going like nine for 22 and you're like all right so this is this is okay but I'd probably rather watch Damian Lillard so I will grant the amnesty but I'm not going to grant the transfer to the Celtics you got to try again Ben okay (laughs) yeah um agreed and uh as far as uh, I mean, seriously, like becoming a Celtics fan because you're a Duke fan makes you one of the more insufferable fans in sports. Um, moving on, though, Ali says, Wait, aren't you both a Celtics fan and a Duke fan now? I can't even keep up. <laughs> I am not ever a Duke fan. God, uh, uh, you're hey, look, you're Mr. Alabama these days. So you've got all of us beat. Um, I think Ali you meant says, Clemson, Andrew. I think you meant Clemson. <laughs> Win connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've always loved Davo. That's true. Um, Ollie says, hey, guys, I was listening to your last podcast while enjoying the company of some seals and blue penguins at Abel Tasman National Park, taking nothing but pictures and leaving nothing but footprints. This is oh, how you man. know he's a true open floor disciple. Um, and he says, that's when you guys mentioned the fan amnesty concept. And it got me thinking about my cousin's KJ and Eric from Phoenix. KJ graduated with an English degree, and he's a hip-hop fanatic. At his lowest point of Suns fandom, he even wrote some awkward, angsty lyrics about the Suns and their woes that I'm not sure industry pros like Scott Travis would approve of. <laughs> and by the way, like I think a lot of people record some embarrassing rap music in college. I certainly did, but I can't imagine anything more embarrassing than writing angsty sons rap at, at any point in your life. Marquise Chris makes me want to boo and hiss. <laughs> like, what do you? Think? <laughs> yeah, like, it's just really, really tough. So, uh, thoughts and prayers to KJ. As for Eric, Ollie writes, he says, he tries to justify Suns rosters to himself, often talking about how 10 years of Josh Jackson and Marquise Chris might actually turn out okay. Whenever he talks about the team, he puts on a brave, optimistic smile. But when you look closer, you can see this empty glaze in his eyes, like there's just nothing left on the inside. I'm trying to be the good cousin here, and I fake sympathy for them, but honestly... I'm not sure I can do it much longer. Until this year, Eric's been too proud to give up on the franchise, but last year he moved to Dallas for work. I've been trying all year to convince him to jump ship and become a Luka believer. This would be the perfect time to transition. Eric's too proud, but maybe some gentle encouragement from the open floor community would make it work. 
So yeah. look, great I don't email. know. Yeah. First of all, we also need to say, KJ, it's time to move on from the angsty Suns rap chapter of your life. So you should jump ship as well. I think all Suns fans are free until until Sarver sells a team. Well, great news, Andrew. The local city just gave him $150 million to renovate his building <laughs> I there. I did see that. I would love to, to go up to those city council people and get their honest feelings about how excited they are to keep the Suns there. Can you imagine, like, right now, cutting that big of a check and changing your tax structure and all that to keep that team the way they're oh. playing right now? It's just really, really rough. Um, you left out the part about how the national park he was at is actually in New Zealand, Andrew. So oh, that okay. that's a whole different level of enlightenment. And I do think because, of, you know, uh, we're assuming they're not from Arizona. They're probably from New Zealand. I think KJ needs to just run away as fast as possible. And I think the Luca bandwagon, um, especially with the geographical angle there, living in Dallas, that's a no-brainer. I think that Ollie has given, uh, you know, his family member brilliant advice here and, KJ needs to follow it. Yeah, um, I support it. And then the only other amnesty thing that we got, and we got a lot of good emails, but um, we're pressed for time here. Peter is a Kings fan who gave up on the Kings for a decade and has now come back to the Kings this season and is just ecstatic. And so I think it's important to recognize that there there are success stories with this. And this is why we should all kind of embrace it because there's – you can make healthier choices for the short term and long term. You don't have to turn your back on any team. Yeah, Peter weaved a real tale about how he left the Kings, you know, kind of enjoyed some contenders, now came back with the Deer and Fox era. And um, I guess those are shifting allegiances is probably like the polite way to put it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but again, like it got really dark in Sacramento for a solid 14 years there, expecting anyone to just take the Sunderland fan route of, I'm going to be completely miserable because it's my duty in this world. Um, I do think we can kind of let up on that a little bit. And one other quick shout out just to Free Darko. I know we got some emails from people saying, hey, Liberated Fandom was this Free Darko concept from years and years ago. Absolutely. And the amnesty that we've just handed out uh, is meant to be uh, presented you know, with that, uh, you know, that same uh, concept and, and theory in mind. But guess what, Andrew? It is time for your favorite segment, Three of by Graham, the lantern presented Finally. by LinkedIn. And I got to say, Andrew, <laughs> I got to say. does not know that they're still associated with this stupid segment. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I got to say, Andrew, uh, this week's, uh, it's going to be abbreviated. And it okay. took a real turn for the worse because I composed a very thoughtful question about the Memphis Grizzlies and when it's finally time to kind of, uh, you know, take on a task that you've kind of procrastinated about for years. And obviously they're doing that with Conley and Gasol. I got some really, really thoughtful answers from people. Maybe they started driving for the first time or uh, they were willing to forgive somebody they hadn't talked to and, and rediscovered a, you know, a best friendship and some really poignant stories. But then Andrew, I made the mistake of sharing on my Instagram story at Ben.Golliver a picture that you took of Steve Kerr wearing Pod Save America t-shirt and mm-hmm. then asking our Open Floor Glow members whether they would want to see different t-shirt designs a la the Pod Save America shirt. Yeah. I, woke, I woke up this morning with 47 notifications of t-shirt concepts based on our various slogans. I have whittled this list down and I need you to rank them on a scale of one to 10, how likely you would be to wear these shirt designs proposed by our listeners 
uh, in public. Okay, this is not just wearing it around the house. You know, you're going to okay. put your Mack Weldon sweats on, and you're going to wear one of these T-shirts. Okay. Well, um, can I just say a couple things before you jump in? Please. Okay. First of all, if we ever do have merchandise, which I think we should do at some point, a lot of podcasts do it. It'd be fun. I would feel pretty weird about wearing it, um, but maybe we'll get there. Oh, too on cool to wear your own. Too cool yeah. to wear your own jersey, Andrew. Yeah, oh, I, I see don't how know. It is. I don't know. I'm awkward about the self promotion. Um, the other so- the other thing I wanted to mention though is I was driving home from Warriors practice on Wednesday night, and I actually got lost. I was exhausted, and I was just kind of like wandering around the monument area of DC, and um, and so I I got lost, and I was driving and thinking about podcast merchandise and I was like you know it would be cool to one day have open floor shirts and then I couldn't really think of like what we would put on there and then I woke up this morning on Thursday and saw like 25 Instagram stories from you with various suggestions and uh, all of them were really good and so it, well, it would be in, he, it's in keeping with the theme of the podcast where the, the listeners are 10 times better at this than we are. Yeah, and they're and they're one step ahead of you. You're reticent to wear your own, uh, you know, t-shirt, but I think that the <laughs> listeners are trying to encourage you to be like one of those real estate people who like slaps the picture of themselves on the side of their car and yeah. drives around with like their picture and phone number. That's where we're going to get you here after we run through some of these best ideas for the t-shirts. So here's my here's my first. You got to rank it one to ten. How likely would you be to wear it in public? The first t-shirt okay. concept is, it just says. Scott Travis fan club. What do you think? One to 10. Um, I'm into it. Let's give it a seven. I think Scott Travis, maybe he sound, maybe Scott Travis sounds like a parody of a country singer, but might also <laughs> be a real country singer. So it'd be kind of a weird look, but uh, sure, let's do it. All right. The next concept is t-shirt says hello on the front and then it wraps around to the back end, and then it completes your catchphrase right off the top of the show. How likely would you be to wear a hello <laughs> t-shirt? <laughs> that sounds like a difficult shirt to make. Does it actually wrap around like your midsection? Andrew, like you're looking at me like I'm a apparel designer. Okay. <laughs> I'm just picturing hello across the chest and then the rest of the text on the back. Well, I think we would need to add in, because look, if you're just wearing a shirt that says hello on it, uh, you kind of look like an insane person. So you would have to (laughs) add in like not too much, Andrew, and then maybe an open floor logo on the back so that people know that you're at least supporting like a cause and not just the word hello. Uh, But sure, let's do it. Okay. One to 10. You didn't give us a rating. (laughs) One to 10. If you, if we could actually make it wrap around your whole body with the hello and then not too much, Andrew, that's a ten. I would definitely want to own that shirt. Awesome. All right. There's gonna be a rocking chair on the front and then a text on the top of the rocking chair which says Andrew Sharp reports. What do you think, Andrew? One to ten. Um, no, if we're doing a rocking chair, it has to be Grandpa Golliver themed. Okay, so that sounds like a zero. You're That's really zero. not okay. Look, if we could get Grandpa Gulliver merchandise out in the world, all of that would be a ten for me. So I, 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 I like the idea. There's no bad ideas here. Okay, his or her T-shirts uh, that are kind of sold in a pair. All right, one says, "I'm right about the big things," 
and the other says, I'm a reality-based person. What do you think? Could we sell those to couples on Valentine's Day? <laughs> uh, I don't know. And that, that was my only thought when I was trying to figure out, when I was wandering around D.C. trying to figure out uh, T-shirt ideas, I did think reality-based person could work. But I also worry about what that would do to your ego and, and how insufferable you would become over the next few years. So I, I, I have mixed feelings there. Okay, we've got a couple others. Uh, Blue Bubble Gang, obvious. I mean, I think that's that's a no-brainer, right? That hashtag... might be our first one. I think Blue Bubble Gang has legs. Hashtag Blue Bubble Gang is a no-brainer. What about a picture, like a silhouette version of like the NBA logo, basically drinking out of the finals trophy, and it says, win connoisseur on the top, Andrew. What do you think? One to ten. <laughs> I would buy all of these just to commemorate our this weird little era in our life and our friendship. Uh, so I, I got to give it a 10. I'm sorry. Okay. What about one of those tacky in-your-face text type t-shirts? You know that sometimes people will have. It's like, you know, you don't know me. Like, you know, those kinds of where it's like a little too urban outfitters, edgy for polite company. What okay. if that style shirt says, do you play with purpose or with a purpose, like they're like right no, in your zero. front, big zero. font. Really? <laughs> Flat zero. I'm sorry. I hate okay. everything about that phrase. <laughs> what about a shirt that simply says Western Conference Elitist? Would you wear that shirt? Um, that's another one that I you, I saw you post it, and we could definitely sell like a, a good number of those shirts. So yeah, ten. I would never wear that shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> What if we did a Raptors knockoff color scheme and logo replacing the Raptor with a ferocious termite and it said Toronto termites? What do you think, Andrew? One to ten. Well, that one's going to be tough to sell. You know, I don't know many Raptors fans who want to self-identify as termites. And then I also don't know any other NBA fans who want to shout out the annoying Raptors fans. Um but we should at least design it, you know, throw it up on Instagram. Maybe there's no harm. I think the the Reddit Raptors fans are in on the nickname now. I think they've embraced it. I think they've tried to like, you know, use it to, to define themselves. All there's right. The no last way I will ever go to Raptors Reddit. <laughs> okay. I can't imagine how much they hate us over there. A couple of other quick, obvious ones, and then we'll wrap up here. I mean, sorry, Elizabeth, I think is a no brainer. Uh, Sorry, Elizabeth is a no brainer. And um, it's one of those things I was thinking about it because you posted it. Like, I think probably more than 60% of our audience was not listening to us when you when you launched into the original Elizabeth rant a couple years ago. I'll go back and try to find the episode and we could highlight it. Um, but that would be great. Greatest hits. Because I don't think anyone understands. Sorry, Elizabeth. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely want a, a, a Sorry, Elizabeth shirt. Okay, what about a LeBronzo shirt? Are you in? No. Whatever, okay. man. <laughs> what about a, the greatest ability is availability? Are you in? I think that's a 10 out of 10. That that might be the, the real first shirt that we make. Okay, what about a silhouette of a screaming man with his arms in the air and it says, Boylan Neighborhood Watch Committee? What do you think? <sighs> yeah, that we should print those up immediately. I don't know if the Boylan <laughs> jokes are going to have legs <laughs> past the next like four or five months, but let's strike make it happen as soon as strike possible. Strike while the, the iron is hot. All right, and the last one, which was recommended, Andrew, I will tell you, by many, many people. Uh -huh. They said, the Greek shall inherit the earth, Giannis Ooh. Inc. Do we need to just have a Giannis Inc. line 
What do you think? Oh my god, yes! Uh, I forgot I said that, and yes, we should make that immediately. That's another one where I think we got to strike while the iron is hot and capitalize on this Bucks run. So the, the good news here is, based on your rankings, Andrew, I've got t-shirts for you to wear different t-shirts for your various you know podiums and your, your walk-ins to NBA arenas. I believe for the next three weeks straight. I think you just Great. approved like 20-something designs. So that's fantastic <laughs> news. I'm sure we'll get all over this. We'll probably won't make a single t-shirt. But if we ever do, that's where we're headed. Open that's for what I, members. Yeah, absolutely. And I, look, I wear t-shirts almost every day of my life. So I probably would wear these. I mean, that's like, like I got a free Celtics shirt um, from a game I went to a couple years ago. And like, I'm not a Celtics fan, no matter what Big you say. Big Celtics fan. Big but Celtics fan. Every now and then, you just need a clean t-shirt. So I do end up wearing that bright green Celtics shirt sometimes. And I feel awful about it. But uh, so yes, I would wear all of this. And we should we should really look into it. That, that could be a summer project. Well, I, I want to... Oh yeah, please. Email? Yeah, let um, me just tie this off real quick though. Thank you to everyone who sent in those ideas. You guys were a lightning storm that basically uh, overshadowed the lantern. Like the lantern was still functional, but the lightning storm of t-shirt ideas completely <laughs> eclipsed it in terms of uh, you know conversation. So uh, I appreciate Andrew's amazing grades and willing willingness to uh, roll with the punches. But we have one final spectacular contribution from an Open Globe member, don't we? I have no idea what metaphor you're even working with, with the lantern. You're like, lantern versus lightning. Is that supposed to be a, a, like a metaphor? I, like The lantern, to me, just seemed like a random phrase. Well, look, maybe I'll have to make a t-shirt to explain it to you, to spell it out for you. <laughs> like, I think that there was an initial reference to Paul Revere or something. I don't know. Yes, Nothing the lantern, about that The lantern sense. is a communication device, right? Like, we're using, we're using the Paul Revere, the light, to sort of pass messages back and forth via Instagram, Andrew. But we well. got so much activity you could call it a lightning storm that we were no longer able to even see the lanterns <laughs> because of the activity. It was eclipsed. Okay. I, I probably should have paid closer attention in my fourth grade U.S. history class. Um, but well, You should have just paid more attention when I explained it five minutes ago. That's fine. Well, Continue moving, with this great email. <laughs> moving from America's history to across the pond, uh, Dominic says, Hey, guys, let me tell you about the worst day of the NBA calendar. It's the one day each season that the NBA takes the game to London. I live in London. I love the NBA. Shit, I even listen to your podcast. <laughs> my favorite thing any emailer has said to us all year. Thanks but, for the compliment, Dominic. Appreciate that. <laughs> Dominic continues and says, I hate the London game. Let me offer some context here. It's often a pretty lonely endeavor following the league in the United Kingdom. When you find other fans, it's like you're part of a secret society of idiots who are willing to watch the first round playoff games at 3 a.m. But then, once a year, the league comes to town and all these half-arsed dicks <laughs> come out of the woodwork, sorry Elizabeth, and suddenly act like they have a, leg a legit point of view on who should win Rookie of the Year. Tickets sell out in 10 minutes, so even if you're legit, you have zero chance of seeing the game. And if Adam Silver thinks this charade is spreading the quote-unquote global game, he's insane. 
all the media ever cover here is which football players uh, are courtside and what they're wearing. And maybe whether the Wizards front court likes UK rap. And this will still be secondary in the news agenda to any Premier League player stubbing his toe. And I haven't even mentioned the gross teams they select every year to play this game. Put it this way, the Knicks and Nets are spending a lot of time in London the past few years. So Adam Silver, please do me a favor, all caps, keep the game out of London. (laughs) And um, that's it. I have nothing to add there except that, Dominic, thank you for for your passion. It really uh, brought me some joy in the middle of this week. Incredible email, Dominic. It's funny because I just got done doing an interview with the BBC a couple hours ago, and and the guy was trying to tell me how excited he was about that Wizards-Knicks game, and I (laughs) felt the need not only to like apologize on behalf of America for sending those two teams over there, yeah. but also just be like, just like FYI, the NBA is a lot better than this. Like I know well, it was an exciting ending and all of that, but just like realize you're not getting the cream of the crop over there. And we're, we, we feel bad, but don't let that skew your perception of what we got going on over here. I also love it because the NBA, anytime their international efforts are covered, they are, universally praised and and as well they should be it's very cool i've written about it and i think it's one of the coolest parts about the league but i do love dominic bringing the counterpoint here saying just get this game out of my country and i also like the phrase half arsed dicks so thank you for everything dominic Keep great listening. job, Dominic. Great job, Open Floor Glow members. You brought the heat on all platforms this week. Go ahead, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And don't forget, search for us on Apple Podcasts by searching for two words. That's Open Floor. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. It really helps us spread the word. Andrew, I know you didn't forget. We are on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. Check us out there. Until next week, Andrew. I will talk to you. All right, man. Talk to you soon.